Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Let us continue worship with our first scripture reading, coming from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness, in the uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious and does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the might and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our reading is from Luke uh, chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people, from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great. In heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Charlie Sturzman walked into uh, the congregation where my husband and I were co-pastors in Louisville in 1997. He was a lifelong Baptist in search of something more. His words, not mine. He had two hesitations about the Presbyterian Church. One was women preachers. The other was infant baptism. 
Charlie died in 2011, and he still wasn't completely sure that the Presbyterians had it right on infant baptism. I do know that I had the privilege of changing his mind on women preachers. If a sermon hit Charlie particularly hard, he would shake my hand on the way out the door and say, you were stepping on my toes today, preacher. The text from Luke that I read just now can lead to a stepping on toes kind of sermon. In fact, this text might be what they call now in university classes a trigger text, a trigger for some of you. That is, it causes all sorts of difficult feelings to rush up inside of you. It reminds you of a bad experience. Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, as Luke calls it, is similar to the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew. The difference is that Luke is much more direct in delivering Jesus' message. The blessed are poor, plain and simple. Not poor in spirit, as Matthew says, but simply poor. The blessed are those who are hungry. Not hungry for righteousness, simply hungry. Luke also takes the sermon one step further than Matthew in that he lists woes. And those woes can really be a trigger for us. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full. Woe to you who are laughing. The Sermon on the Plain is much more likely to get under our skin than the Sermon on the Mount. And that is because it is not only preached on a plane, but it is plain spoken. The words are straightforward. They can sound accusatory. They can make us defensive and create all sorts of things in our head like, well, I'm not really rich, not compared to Jeff Bezos or Bezos or whoever he is. These words challenge the way we live. Our toes are not only stepped on, but they are trampled. And so this morning I need to remind you that these are Jesus' words. This is Jesus' sermon. If it gets under your skin or steps on your toes or messes with your head or makes you feel defensive, please remember Jesus' words, Jesus' sermon. Don't shoot the messenger. I will be happy to talk with any of you, to discuss these ideas, to wonder about how all of us can come closer to meeting Jesus' demands for discipleship. But I humbly ask again, don't shoot the messenger. At today's point in Luke's gospel, Jesus has been baptized by John. He has been tempted in the wilderness, and now he is traveling through the countryside. He has recently gone up the mountain to be alone and to pray, and while on the mountain, he has chosen his 12 disciples. So when he comes down from the mountain, he brings the 12 with him, and people from all over the region have gathered on the plain, grassy space there at the foot of the mountain, waiting for Jesus. They are crippled and diseased. 
They have mental illness as well as physical illness. They're from Tyre and Sidon. They are widows and orphans. They are fishermen. And there on that flat, grassy place, they have gathered themselves hoping, praying, expecting healing from Jesus. They need it. In some way, shape, or form, they need to be healed so their lives can go on. And they believe that Jesus has the power to heal them. And so Luke tells us directly, the power came out of him, and all of them were healed. All of them are healed. Jesus didn't discriminate in his healing. It's a comprehensive communal healing where no one is left out. You don't need to prove your righteousness. You don't need to prove that you belong. You don't need to prove that you are worthy. You are simply healed by the powerful love that comes from Jesus. This is the first picture that Jesus paints for us about what it is like to be part of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom, remember, is not something that just happens in the future, but it's something that's happening right now. And so the first picture is a picture of inclusion. Everyone is healed. And then after the healing happens, Jesus changes his focus and begins to paint a more specific picture of discipleship. And this picture is really geared toward those who are his disciples. He looks at the 12, eye to eye. I see you. I'm looking at you. You are my disciples, and I want you to listen to what I have to tell you. Jesus looked his disciples in the eye and began to teach them the way of God's kingdom. Now remember, they haven't been disciples very long at this point. Maybe only a few hours or a few days. These are new teachings for them. They have by and large said yes to Jesus, but they don't really know what they have said yes to. And these teachings are different. It's the first time anyone's heard them. They're not at all the way the world operates. In fact, they turn the cultural norms of the day, both then and today, upside down and inside out. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap forward, for surely your reward is great in heaven. The people on the plane have never heard words like this spoken to them before. The disciples are probably starting to wonder what exactly they said yes to up on that mountaintop. Blessed are you who are poor? Trust me, there is no blessing in poverty. 
No blessing when you don't know what you are going to eat. No blessing when you don't have a place to go in a snowstorm like today. No blessing when you don't have a roof over your head when you lay down at night. No blessing when you go to the same corner day in and day out and see the same people and ask for the same quarter. Come here on Tuesday night. Come to this church on Tuesday night and see those who line up to get into our PADS program and tell me, tell me that they are blessed. What is Jesus talking about? And why is he speaking so pointedly to the disciples? Because Luke tells us he is looking them in the eye. Up until this moment, the crowd has experienced Jesus as a compassionate healer who is inclusive in his ministry, who wants the best for his people, who maybe, just maybe, the promised Messiah that's going to turn things around for the people of Israel, straighten things out for them. But now, what is this nonsense coming out of his mouth? Blessed are the hungry, Blessed are those who are bullied because of what they believe in. There is no blessing in these things. This is not the way the world operates. And as the sermon progresses, the crowd begins to hear Jesus more like one of those prophets from the Old Testament and less like the personal benefactor they had hoped for or experienced. Suddenly, the compassionate healer is naming urgent truths and asking people to embrace these truths, to live out of these truths. But everything he is saying is opposite of the way they live, of the way their society is structured, and of what they have learned up to this point in their lives. The world imagined by Jesus with these blessings, blessings to the poor and the hungry and the suffering, this world imagined by Jesus in the Sermon on the Plain is a world of righteousness. It is a world where things are made right. The hungry are fed, The poor get what they need. Those who suffer and struggle against bullies are protected. It is in this world, imagined and described by Jesus, that we get a real understanding of God's kingdom. In this sermon, Jesus is appealing to our moral and ethical character. Who are we? As disciples of Jesus. He is telling us and the first 12 that if you are serious about building the kingdom of God, then you need to be serious about embracing and living out of a different set of rules than what the culture dictates. Remember that our understanding of God's kingdom is more than just an understanding of heaven or life eternal. We believe that God's kingdom is something we're working for here and now. Alex has preached about that over and over again. 
We are working to build a kingdom of God here. And so this is what Jesus taught, and this is what he's preaching in the Sermon on the Plain. If you look at the tense of the words that he is using, as they are translated, he is talking about present time. The poor are blessed while they are still poor. The hungry are filled while they are still hungry. The ones who weep laugh while they are still sad. As disciples, we are mandated by Jesus to work for the kingdom right here and right now. Today, today we feed the hungry. Today, the poor are to be given shelter and jobs. Today, the bullies are to be stopped. The five candles on our communion table in honor of the five victims of the shooting in Aurora on Friday. This is the work of building God's kingdom on earth. And the woes, the warnings that Jesus gives in this sermon reminds us also of what Alex has been preaching over the last few weeks. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who are laughing now. Woe to you when all speak well of you. Jesus is setting an agenda for the kingdom of God, and it is a far different agenda than what we're used to, and it is a tough agenda. It involves all of us, the rich and the poor, the hungry and the full, the employed and the unemployed, the heterosexuals and the LGBTQIA community, the educated and the uneducated, the homeless and those who have two or even three homes. This sermon by Jesus is a call to each and every one of us to a hard way of discipleship if we want to truly follow Jesus and be part of the way of Jesus. And this sermon from Jesus demands that we change the way we think, the way we act, and the way we live. Now, I don't know about you, but my toes are starting to hurt. This is tough, and it's important. One writer calls this passage an extraordinarily well-reasoned, well-argued theological discourse that upends the old way of what it, the old way of thinking of what it means to be a Christian in the 21st century. Ouch. Ouch, somebody just stepped on my toe again. This passage is a message to us about what it takes to change the world. And it takes more than lip service. It means that we have to change our way of thinking. We are not blessed because we have warm homes and roofs and food on our table and jobs to go to. We are challenged 
to risk those very things that society tells us makes us successful in the name of Jesus, in the name of discipleship. A new and unsettling world order is being created by Jesus. Jesus is taking discipleship to a new level of sacrifice. And frankly, we don't really like that word sacrifice. It makes us uncomfortable. And you know, I bet those people on that grassy field were probably no happier to to hear this sermon than we are. They may have thought that they were blessed simply for showing up, like we think when we show up on Sunday morning. They may have thought they were blessed because, after all, Jesus healed them. They may have thought they were doing enough. After all, they put a little something in the beggar's cup every day when they walk by that beggar. They come to family night. They agree to serve on the session. They're on the all-church nominating committee. Come on. They're doing things. They're sacrificing. Jesus, however, is taking us to a new level, a new level of sacrifice that is nothing less than completely and totally overwhelming. Jesus is telling us that we are the bearers of God's love and light into this world, and God will not stand for us to be half-hearted in our attempt to change the world. God will not stand for half-hearted discipleship. God demands everything that we have to give, and then even more. That's the truth. God does not bless us as we quietly maintain tradition and ignore the prophetic voices that call us back to sacrificial service. God does not bless us for maintaining a status quo or for having a thousand members on our membership rolls. The values and ethics expressed in Jesus' sermon are meant, are meant for those of us who have already made a commitment to follow Jesus. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the people that have already made the commitment. He's talking to me. He's talking to each of us. In this sermon, God is speaking to us of both now and not yet. That's always the challenge of discipleship. It is now and it is not yet. It is here and it is hereafter. It involves a realized, a realized, that means it happens now, reversal of social, economic, and political conditions of the poor and the downcast and the marginalized. And that's a pressing challenge for those of us who live lives of privilege because it means we might have to let go of some of our privilege. And by privilege, I don't mean that we have it easy. We don't have it easy. I simply mean that most of the time our basic needs are met, and that means we are privileged. Most of the time we don't have to worry about food or shelter or clothing, and so we are among the privileged. Here in this text, Jesus is issuing a call to the life of discipleship and a call to action, 
What makes discipleship so difficult is that we can never avoid our individual responsibility. Yes, it's what we do as a church. That is very, very important. But it's also what we do as individuals. What will you do when you walk out of here this morning to bless the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized? How will you change your life or make a decision that's different from another decision you might make? And nobody but God, through the Holy Spirit, can define what our individual responsibility is. Figuring out what it means to me and for each one of us here, and for those watching on the web, comes down to a deep, soul-searching, constant, prayerful activity. It means that we allow ourselves to be uncomfortable, that we move out of our comfort zone, and that we earnestly seek God's will for us in any given moment. It involves reading this sermon from Luke over and over and over again. It means being willing to allow your world to be turned upside down and inside out. And I'm really sorry to tell you this part, but not even your pastors can help you figure it out because half the time we are challenged in what it means for us to live this hard call to discipleship. I'm guessing that this morning there will be many of us limping out of this sanctuary, whether before or after the annual meeting. There will be more than the usual murmurs about what we already do and why we need to do more. There will be questions about how or why this kind of sacrificial discipleship even matters. And some may even wonder why Alex lets me preach. (laughs) But he does. The truth is that in simple terms, the ethics of Christian discipleship is contrary to the ethics of our world. And that makes it almost impossible for most of us to live the sacrificial life of discipleship. Almost impossible, except for one thing, the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. The grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, those are the secret weapons of committed disciples, my friends. Those are the secret weapons we get when we are baptized, when we join a church, when we pray, when we seek God's will. God's grace is unending. So as we stop and start and stop again on the journey of discipleship, God is always pouring out God's grace upon us and giving us encouragement and saying, You can do it. You can do better. You can do more. I'll show you. And God is always giving us opportunities to try and try again and forgiving us when we give up on this daunting challenge. And the Holy Spirit, well, that is that wind which blows where it will, particularly here in Chicago. The wind that brings new ideas to us, new opportunities for ministry. 
The Holy Spirit is the breath of life that God blows into each of us, creating in us the deep desire to make our world a better place, a place where there are no more shootings, a place where everyone is safe, a place where children are loved unconditionally, a place where the poor feel the blessing. The Holy Spirit is the breath of life that God breathes into us that makes us willing to turn our lives upside down and inside out, even even at the cost of our own comfort, of our own lives. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.